You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good morning and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Tom Jackman, a criminal justice reporter here at The Post. Today we're going to talk about uh, reducing gun violence in America with two people that know quite a bit about this topic, the police chief of Los Angeles, Michael Moore, and the head of the Police Executive Research Forum, wearing a natty sweater there, Chuck Wexler. Uh, Welcome, gentlemen, to Washington Post Live. Good morning. Nice to see you, Tom. Is it a sweater or a jacket there, Chuck? What it's do you a got? jacket. Oh, well, okay. You're a reporter. You, you need to get the facts right. Well, so I asked you, at least. I was confirming the facts. Uh, you can see how our relationship goes. It's basically arguing all the time. Uh, exactly. So, Chuck, I'll start with you. You wrote this letter uh, to the members of the Police Executive Research Forum a couple weeks ago, calling on them to stand up collectively and support a ban on assault weapons. You wrote, It's time for police officials to lead the effort to rid our community of weapons of war uh, and support this ban, which, by the way, the chiefs did in the 1990s, the last time one of these bans was enacted in Congress. Do you think that police chiefs want to step into this morass in 2023? And will they? And you know what question's coming for you, Chief Moore. But we'll start with Chuck. Well, I I think that, you know, you don't, have to turn on the news for very long before you hear it's Atlanta, it's Texas, it's Nashville, it's Louisville, it's on and on. I think we have, we police executives are in a place where they can talk objectively, they can call it like they see it. Look, assault weapons uh, kill people quickly, uh, but also guns in general. We need to have a comprehensive approach. Assault weapons ban has to be part of it. But, you know, 30 years ago, I'm old enough to say that police chiefs just called it as they saw it. And when you do that, you take the politics out of it. So, you know, I've talked to Mike Moore. You're going to hear from him in Los Angeles, Seattle. Many chiefs need to step up as they did 30 years ago. Well, let's hear from you, Chief Moore. You have not been quiet about supporting one of these bans. The major cities police chiefs uh, spoke out in 2019 with a letter. Um, but have you spoken to other chiefs about possibly taking the lead on this? Are, are, are they willing to be as outspoken as you've been? And will it make an impact? Well, to the latter question, I think it really depends on Congress and leadership of Congress. The leadership of major city chiefs across this country, the largest cities that see the, the, the largest impact of, of these weapons of war on our streets and the casualty rates and the losses of life. Uh, we know here in California with a ban on assault weapons that we don't see the types of gun deaths, the homicide deaths uh, that we do in other parts of the country. California, uh, with its gun laws, uh, on a number of, of, to Chuck's point, comprehensive approach to gun safety, uh, sees uh, 38% fewer gun homicides than we do on the national average. We're the eighth lowest uh, department, uh, as far as the eighth lowest state on gun deaths. And so let's start with assault weapons. These are weapons of war. These are meant to kill people. And there's the only reason they exist. And they're meant to do it efficiently, which means not just one individual, but many individuals. We see this in the role of mass shootings. We see this in a role of street violence. And here in California, we also see that the impact of just the state law has a limiting effect and that we need to see this as we see automobile safety. We need to see federal standards 
that exists across all the borders so that lives are saved and we all as Americans can enjoy a more peaceful existence and be protected from these, again, these weapons of war. Well, Chief, but aren't police chiefs who are not typically politicians sort of bound by the politics of where they are? We had the police chief of Omaha here last week and I asked him this question and he, he, he sort of wanted to support a ban, but he knows that that's not necessarily what his people think. The major cities' chiefs only represent big cities. Uh, so how will this fly outside of the big cities? Can you get other people on board for this? I think the role of law enforcement, and particularly law enforcement leadership, is to speak facts. Uh, you're right. Uh, law enforcement chiefs you know, in cities across this country should be apolitical. Uh, our point positions on, on instances should be based on what the facts are. And that's both pro and con. The, uh, when we face criticism about assault weapon, an assault weapon ban, and people say, well, here in, you, know, you have this in California, but you know, Chief, how does that work on mass shootings in California? We need to speak the facts and acknowledge the fact that it hasn't eliminated it entirely. But the incremental steps that we have taken in this city and in this state have made us, by the, by the data, a safer place. I enjoy a mayor and, and preceding mayors before her. Uh, mayor Bass fully supports uh, the reinstatement of the federal assault weapons ban that expired in 2004, uh, as does the former mayor, Mayor Garcetti, and the mayors before uh, him. So this is an area that Los Angeles, we hope that the winds of change lead from the West and that we can influence the rest of the country. We see here in this in our, in our state that standards that are imposed at a state level should be looked at across the entire country as to their fit. What are, the, what are the desired outcomes? What are the undesirable outcomes? And how as a country we should act to reduce gun deaths, which is such a terrible, taking such a terrible toll on Americans. California actually has had an assault weapons ban since 1989, but when it was challenged, uh, it was, well, it's sort of in legal limbo now. The appeals court has uh, reversed it and it's on the verge of being uh, thrown out. Chuck, what kind of feedback did you get from your letter from chiefs and uh, and do you think that going state by state, uh, there's 10 states and DC that currently ban assault weapons. Do you think going state by state is a better approach? But first, what kind of feedback did you get when you said everybody needs to stand up on this? Actually, I was surprised I didn't get much pushback. I got um, a bunch of people who said it's about time. But let me let me kind of reframe this slightly because I think we have to think differently about the gun issue than simply make it about assault weapons. You know, in Washington, what we like to do is pick one issue, assault weapons, and then people line up on either side. What we've done is we've put together a comprehensive approach. And I think the way to get police executives involved is to talk about the totality of gun violence. I mean, we talk about assault weapons, we need to deal with that. But we need to deal with everyday violence. And you know, in the streets of Los Angeles, Chicago, People shoot each other every day. And if you talk about this in terms of accountability, what states and cities and prosecutors can do, you know, you talk about that first, and then you talk about assault weapons, and then you talk about red flag laws, and then you talk about what every homeowner who has a gun can do. If every homeowner in this country who had a gun secured it, that could probably cut suicides in half and it could prevent something like Sandy Hook. I mean, the Sandy Hook killer took the gun from his mother. Uh, that happened, the six-year-old here in Virginia took the gun from his parents. If every gun owner secured their guns, suicides would be cut in half. 
We can talk about that. We can also talk about assault weapons too. We need to have a comprehensive approach. Don't just pick one issue because we'll lose on that one issue. And don't just jump ahead on my questions. That question is later. So I'm coming back to you on that later. Uh, sorry. sorry. I'll ask both of you. Chuck, you can start. Do you think rank and file cops on the street want to see assault weapons removed from society? Fox News released a poll just last week showing 61% of officers favor banning assault rifles and semi-automatic weapons. Do you think you have public support for this? Uh, Chief, oh, I, you go first. And then, well, you go first, Chuck. Well, I mean, what really motivated me, uh, you know, every day motivates me on this issue. But, you know, when I, I read about Nicholas Wilt, Nicholas Wilt uh, was a is a Louisville police officer. Uh, he'd been on the job four shifts. He's 26 years old. He has a brother, twin brother, who's also a police officer. And he was the one who in Louisville stepped up and, and got shot. And he's now he's uh, in a hospital shot in the brain. And this is a 26-year-old kid walking into a line of fighter. And I think how things have changed in policing since Columbine is we expect police officers to walk into that, to confront that gunman. So you saw that in Uvalde. You saw that in, in uh, Louisville. You saw that in Nashville. So, I mean, I think police officers, if they have some reservations about this, have to also look at this as an officer safety issue. I mean, this is, this is we expect police officers to step up and risk their lives to save others. This is a weapon of war. This isn't a weapon for a peaceful community. Chief Moore, where's the public, where are your officers on this issue? I believe the vast majority of our officers recognize that these weapons of war uh, is something that we can't safely uh, have in our communities because of the constant instances of mental health, the crises we see uh, in our neighborhoods, that these the ready access to these type of weapons uh, in confronting them, we see uh, huge body counts, we see the loss of life, and officers' very safety are jeopardized. So I think when you say six out of 10 uh, of American police officers support this ban, I think it's much more than that when they understand the, the complexity of what's being asked. We're asking for a responsible limit on these high-capacity magazines, on these weapons that are only designed to kill people. They're not hunting weapons, they're not used as sport enthusiasts, uh, and so I think, again, as we talk about this, uh, again, it's important that we recognize this isn't just a vote issue amongst police officers, it's a safety issue. And our ability to counter this is so much compromised, it's not like we need a bigger gun. We need fewer of these guns in the street and, and then allow police officers to go home at night and see their loved ones. Chief, we have a viewer question for you from Arizona. Uh, Viewer Pamela Joy asks, how many such weapons are already on the streets of L.A. that wouldn't be affected by a ban? So there's thousands of these weapons. Last year, we recovered uh, more than 8,000 firearms and hundreds of those were assault weapons. Uh, so we know the proliferation of weapons, including these weapons of war, uh, is widespread. We saw in the onset of the pandemic, America went out and began buying record amounts of firearms. We've seen that in results of not just the increase in violence on our street, homicide rates, family violence, but we've also seen the number of weapons stolen, uh, including assault weapons from homes because they're not properly secured. And those end up being pointed at officers. Here in Los Angeles, we've had officers shot at an increasing rate uh, in the aftermath of this pandemic, we believe in part because of the ready ability. These gun laws that can change. 
uh, won't change everything overnight. But I, again, I used an analogy earlier about automobile safety. When we look at automobile safety over the last 100 years, we didn't start off as a, as a safe transport. And it's taken incremental steps throughout the years. And it's not like what we looked at and said, well, we have a whole generation of cars out here. What do we just impound and throw those away? No, we recognize that over time that these gun changes, that these incremental steps can improve the overall safety, just like our health. Everything, as Chuck indicated, this needs to be a comprehensive plan. We tend to focus. My time here today is, uh, is being asked about assault weapons. But in reality, we need to look at the red flag laws. We need to look at magazine capacities. We need to look at the uh, securing guns, the issue of ghost guns and the ready proliferation of those. There's a number of aspects here. I would encourage the public to go and look at PERF's report on reducing gun violence, what works and what can be done. It's a fact-based document, it's balanced, and it speaks to America about how we don't have to live with what we have. And we have examples of states across the country that have demonstrated those incremental steps do improve the lives of our community and save lives. There was the transition right to you, Chuck. So let's talk about that 2019 report. You had nine uh, proposals, nine ways to reduce gun violence. You also broke down gun violence into four different types. You had uh, domestic violence, everyday homicides, uh, suicides, and mass shootings. Uh, so those right. are the four groups that you want to reduce. And so what were the, the major points uh, that you guys are pushing that Chief Moore just referred to? Well, I mean, I think, you know, those four categories are important. I mean, most Americans would be surprised that the number one killer is is people killing themselves in their homes. That's number one. More people will die uh, from suicides. And that's why we talk about, uh, you know, securing guns at home uh, and also having these emergency orders, red flag orders. If you know someone has a gun and they're, they have some mental health issues, uh, you know, getting that gun secured is very important. But, you know, every day, so we could talk about um, assault weapons and certainly what happened in Louisville and Nashville, but every day in the streets across the country, I mean, you take Chicago on a bad weekend, you could have, you know, 30 people shot, you could have 10 die. When you look at the backgrounds of many of those people, they've been arrested multiple times. So the way to get police chiefs on board here is to talk about accountability because in those kind of everyday shootings, you know, people are being given fourth, fifth chances. And, and what are you doing? Those people are winding up being shot either as victims or as perpetrators. So talk about accountability at the same time, red flag laws, securing guns, uh, all of these kind of steps are important. Magazine size is very important. You know, the Washington Post did a great series on the AR-19. And one of the things they looked at was the difference between 30 and 10 cartridges. And what happens, and this is back when they passed it, you know, 30 years ago, when you have that magazine control, person has to reload after 10. That makes a big difference in trying to stop the person. So a comprehensive approach, red flag laws, waiting period, all of those things, but accountability is what needs to happen also at the same time at the state and local level. Prosecutors and judges have to get serious like we are. Chief Moore, what you're familiar with these points. What's what have you guys done in L.A.? What's not happened in L.A.? What is uh, what's in your path still? Well, many of the points of the nine recommendations have been uh, 
implemented here in California, which is why, again, we're the eighth lowest in gun deaths across America and why we see 38% fewer gun homicides. Uh, the areas that we saw troubles and, and differences in the last couple of years was that we saw during the pandemic when our criminal justice system essentially went into a paralysis, uh, is that we saw gun violence increase because the consequences of people carrying guns, those involved in robberies and other crimes involving guns, was greatly diminished. We had an onset of zero bail. We saw trials that were delayed and postponed for years. And we saw the rate of robberies go up involving handguns more than double. Because when the consequences of carrying a gun were eliminated, uh, robbers and people involved in this type of street violence said, why wouldn't I not carry a gun when I'm confronting someone who may have a gun? And I look across the landscape of America and I see New York, for instance, and the, and the challenging time uh, uh, Commissioner Sewell has there, as well as other cities such as Philadelphia and Chicago. Uh, I'm grateful that here in Los Angeles, we have seen a DA Gascon return to the use of gun enhancements return to use of bail appropriately for the risks these individuals pose to society. It's not a question on bail, for instance, about whether or not a person can afford bail. It's a question of whether or not the community can afford to have this person back out in, in our streets committing further acts of violence. So the, the, the issue for law enforcement is that the certainty of punishment we have seen weakened in criminal justice reform, and it needs a haircut. As, a, as a reforms of criminal justice occur, they should swing both ways. And we see experiments and pilots and ideas about how uh, support of the offender in growing gun violence needs to be greater with programming and other aspects. But we also know that those individuals then game the system and prey upon a community with heightened levels of gun violence. So certainly a punishment here in Los Angeles, you can only have to look back over the last three years to see whether or not it matters. It matters a great deal. Limiting, limiting mag counts, Absolutely. Here in California, the ability to have a detachable magazine has a huge impact on the rate of fire and on the ability of people to run and seek cover and hide from a gunman uh, in, a, in an assault, whether it be a mass violence situation or otherwise. Chuck, uh, you wrote another impassioned plea to the police chiefs recently after the Tyree Nichols killing in Memphis, uh, urging departments to intensely Monday morning quarterback review every use of force. Are we ever going to get to a time where we don't see these videos anymore? What what can change? Well, I think, you know, training has to change dramatically. But I think every time we have a situation like Tyreen Nichols, the best thing we can do is not avoid it, but uh, show it and and talk about it. Uh, you know, after I wrote that, uh, Tom, you know, I, I went around to eight cities. I asked cities, you know, would, would you like to engage in this discussion? And we went to eight cities and we talked about it. And it's interesting because not one person did I hear defended what happened in Memphis. Uh, but the important thing was to ask what could have been done to prevent that? How should our training change? You know, and the interesting thing is those officers in Memphis, they were wearing body worn cameras. And um, and so, you know, so much in policing is changing, but so much more has to change. Our training has to change. Our oversight has to change. Uh, there has to be, you know, a rethinking about how we train and how we select people. You know, this comes in the middle of a major staffing crisis uh, all across the country is who are going to be the next generation of police officers. And if you think about the conversation we've had here today about whether what happened in Uvalde was happening around the country, uh, really police have been under enormous uh, 
pressure to change. I see a lot of change, but that's a real issue for police chiefs today and mayors who are going to be the police chiefs of the police officers of the future. Chief, what are your thoughts on police violence and whether or not it's uh, ever going to diminish the number of police-involved killings each year has stayed constant at about 1,000? Well, I think you need to look at it, this at an individual state-by-state, city-by-city level uh, because there's 17,000 police agencies across America, and when an agency gets it wrong and the people within that agency get it terribly wrong, as what happened there in Memphis and in other places, other examples, it taints and it colors the entire profession. Here in Los Angeles, we've worked on in the last decade to lower the instances of officer-involved shootings. Last year, we had 31 officer-involved shootings in a city of 4 million. When we look at the rate of violence here in regards to the use of firearms, uh, officer-involved shootings here in Los Angeles, just 10, 15, 20 years ago, those numbers were more than double or triple those numbers. So the instances of officers facing uh, individuals armed with firearms has increased. The violence against police officers has increased, but I believe that de-escalation, the uh, preservation of life, the reverence for life, the tactics, the tools that we have today in a modern law enforcement agency provides us every opportunity to, to demonstrate the use of deadly force as a last resort, but we're not perfect. Uh, our training has to continue to evolve. I'm proud of the work of PERF in this, in this area to encourage departments, both large and small, to look at how we go about training. Also look at how we go about selecting and, and ensuring that the recruitment of the officers that we have is that they're people with emotional intelligence, that have the compassion for others, that they recognize this is a profession of service and that they understand the right frame of mind about how they enter into tumultuous and chaotic situations. And you know, as America, we expect what I believe is the toughest job in America, a police officer to go in and solve problems that society has failed continually over. And the vast majority of time, I'm proud of the work that our people do. They go out, I see countless examples of individuals that go out and save lives. They don't resort to the use of deadly force. They find alternatives, they're effective in their de-escalation and their communication skills, but yet also, just this week in Los Angeles, an individual with a knife attacked and stabbed brutally people on that transit line. And then when confronted by officers, ran at those officers armed with a knife and intent was to kill those officers. And those officers resulted, res- resultingly shot back. And that I'm grateful that that individual survived that injury. But at the same time, as we look at that shooting, there is a limit to what we can do. As you look at the uh, uh, Chief Drake and his men and women that went in and took on a, a violent gunman, that's an officer-involved shooting. In those numbers that you talk about are those type of deadly encounters. And let's not forget, this next week as we enter in police week, we will honor more than 23,500 men and women who have died in the service of this country as law enforcement officers. They go out and they deal with difficult circumstances, and the vast majority of them perform well. And we need to get that number of the police use of deadly force down to zero. But we also need to go back to the topic of this discussion which is the prevalence of guns in our society and how violent a society we are with those guns. And the police officers are right in the mix of it, trying to change that. Tom, if I can just say just one last thing. Make it quick, Chuck. How we started this conversation. There is a vacuum of leadership on the gun issue. I think this is one issue where police executives can step up, step up, say, call it as they see it. The American people are looking for that. We're ready to serve. Got it. All right. Well, we're out of time. That was great. Uh, I have many, many, many more questions here, but I will uh, I'll have to use those for another day. So thank you, Chief Moore and Chuck Wexler so much for joining us today. God bless you.
Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.